0: Rob, to be honest with you, I was never a Jackass fan. Like, I, I wasn't a big Jackass no. fan when it was uh, like a show, when the first Jackass movie or two came out. Wasn't really for me, but for whatever reason, when Jackass 3 came out, I loved it. I loved it. I just thought it was so funny and so hilarious. And I honestly, to this day, don't really know why I found that one so entertaining, but I didn't find the other one so entertaining. It's been a long time. We've been talking for a while that they're doing another jackass, jackass forever. And I thought, man, this is really going to the well one too many times. This is going to the well one too many times. But the trailer came out today. And damn it, if I wasn't completely engaged. (laughs) I I was completely, first of all, they did a great job in the opening of the trailer. If you guys haven't seen the trailer yet, it kind of opens the first 20 seconds with like some black and white video, slow motion video of the old jackass. And I can't believe they actually pulled this off, but they actually made me feel nostalgic watching this, the old jackass footage. And then it fast forwards to today, obviously and you see them there and it's interesting Johnny Knoxville now with all gray hair, which which is stunning because he's only a couple of years older than me. So that's kind of weird. But you see Johnny Knoxville with all the gray hair. And I'll just tell you what, the, I smiled. I am not a big jackass guy, but I smiled the whole time I was watching this, Rob. I, actually, now, I was not at all excited about watching this. I mean, I thought it's interesting that they're doing it, blah, 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 whatever. I am officially excited now to see Jackass forever. Never would have guessed it in many years. But seriously, Rob, if you're going to put together a trailer for a Jackass 4, it's perfect. This is the perfect way to market and put forth this project to say, hey, audience, you're going to want to come and see this. It was actually executed perfectly. It's wonderful. I had a great time just watching the trailer itself. Can't wait to see the main thing. Rob, I don't know. Were you a big Jackass guy? I mean, And what did you think of this trailer?
1: Uh, I was not, John. (laughs) It's sort of antithetical to my belief in humanity. However, (laughs) like you, uh, I watched this trailer and laughed out loud. I mean, there is a place (laughs) for, I guess, the Darwin Awards writ large on the big screen. Um, There is something against my better nature. I'm ashamed, but I laughed out loud during this trailer, and uh, it made me want to see the movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, again, how on earth they managed to make me feel nostalgic for something I never even liked watching. And they made me feel nostalgic and then made me feel like, even though I've never been the biggest fan, made me feel like I was hanging out with old friends watching this trailer. And some of the stunts just look really fun. I mean, nothing looked too over the top. Until they were releasing a bear into the room with the guy strapped in the chair. That might have been a little bit over the top, but I thought it was really good. Question is, you guys, have you seen this Jackass Forever trailer? I I have to admit, I can't believe I'm saying it. I thought it looked great, and I'm very excited to watch this. And I've never been excited to watch a Jackass thing, but I am now. What did you guys think about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's do another off the top, and we're going to stick on the theme of trailers for this one. Some time ago, we heard word that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were going to be joining up for the first time in ages on screen again with Ridley Scott, director of The Martian, coming in to direct based on a true historical story called The Last Duel. And it sounds sounded interesting. I was curious about it. Not exactly stoked about it. It's like, okay, a couple couple of guys in the old medieval days don't like each other and they're going to have a duel. Okay, whatever. It sounds fine. Well, today the first trailer for The Last Duel dropped. And Rob, I was excited about the Jackass 4 trailer. Even though I wasn't excited for Jackass 4, but the trailer got me on board. This is the better trailer that came out today. This trailer is fantastic. Like, I'm watching this and I... My my starting assumption, and I feel bad about it, was that, oh, this is just going to be the novelty of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon being in a movie together again. That's that's what this is going to be. That's not what they're aiming for. You watch this trailer, and you completely get the feeling they are aiming for Oscars. They are clearly aiming for Oscars. Matt Damon looks great in this. Adam Driver looks great in this. Uh, what, what's Is it Jodie Comer? Is that her name? Yeah, yeah from Killing Eve and the upcoming yep. uh the upcoming Free Guy with the Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. She looks great in this. Yes. The it looked far bigger in scale, Rob, than I thought it was going to. Like I thought this was going to be a small character kind of film. This looks much bigger in scale while also feeling like it's going to be very much a character-driven film. The direction and the feel of it, the, the DNA of it just felt great. I literally found myself salivating over this. I'm like, I I can't wait to watch this. And then you see Ben Affleck and like the blonde hair and the blonde beard. I'm like, I didn't even recognize him at first. And listen, I'm not going to lie. My big point of interest in this movie has been to see Damon and Affleck on screen together again. I love those two as a pair. I really do. But this looked fantastic. Adam Driver came out of nowhere because even though we've known he was one of the stars of it, we've always just been focused on Affleck and Damon together again. Adam Driver looks like he could be the pardon the pun driving force of this movie everything about this just felt right and felt grand and felt i'll use the word epic it felt big and grand and epic with some terrific performances and you got ridley scott at the helm Uh, rob i love this trailer i can't wait to see this thing you had a chance to see it. what did you make of it
1: dude I mean, I love these kinds of stories. Of course, Ridley Scott's first movie that he ever made was *The Duelists*, and I was wondering, is this going to have some kind of... No, it's a different thing entirely. Uh, but I, I love Ridley Scott when he's working in the m- medieval milieu, so to speak. Whether it's, you know, *Kingdom of Heaven*, whether it was *The Duelists*, even to a certain extent, Rob. Um and, and I, this story looks fantastic. I'm completely invested. Uh, I
0: love it. Love it. What, like, what were your expectations going? Because like I said, I, my expectations, which were just kind of based on nothing really, was that it was going to be a small character film, you know, it was going to probably be pretty low budget. I don't know why I thought that, but I did. I thought it's just going to be a lot of Matt Damon. And, but but what what were your expectations going into it? And how did it differ, differ from your expectations?
1: Like like you, it sounded like it was going to be some small movie. You know, like it was, I I thought more like the duelists, his first film, which was, it was Keith Carradine and Harvey Keitel having this beef that lasted decades and they kept fighting one another. I thought it was going to be more like that. I didn't realize that it would be an entire kingdom at stake. And I mean, it looks, it looks epic. It looks like there's warring factions and, and, and politics and, and a big lie. And, and I, I. It was very different than I thought it was going to be. And it looks just exactly up my alley. So I'm again, this was something Look, I always love watching Ridley Scott movies, but knowing what this movie is about. I mean, the guy's in his 80s now and he's lost
0: none of his power,
1: man. This looks great. Um, Fingers crossed.
0: You know, it's hard to believe that there was a good decade stretch there where it looked like Ridley Scott had completely lost it. Like he was putting out crap after crap for 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 like almost a decade and then all of a sudden came the martian and it's like oh right he's ridley scott and and the martian was awesome and now we're looking forward to seeing this
1: yeah the extended version of the martian especially is one of my favorite films of the last decade and so uh, good matt it's great to see him working with matt damon again after doing such great work together
0: it is. Question is for you guys. Have you had a chance to watch this trailer for The Last Duel? This is this is two for two today with trailers. This one also really surprised me. I love this trailer. It's got award season written all over it. What did you guys think about it? Jump on down in the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Uh, and by the way, Raul uh, Yimenez sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Raul. Appreciate that, man. All right, guys. With that down, let's do one more off the top. And that is this. Now, Rob, obviously, one of the big things in entertainment the last little while, the last year and a bit, has been the launch of Disney Plus and them getting into things. And then, of course, with WandaVision, the launching of the MCU on Disney Plus. And WandaVision came out of the the gate, caught everybody's imaginations, became the number one TV show in the world, and then had an incredibly impressive, for its final episode, 1.7 million homes, they say, tuned in to watch it. Huge numbers for something like that. Then came along Falcon, the Winter Soldier, received very well. But then came Loki. And Loki, to me, Loki is my third favorite of the um, of the uh, MCU Disney Plus shows. Like WandaVision is still my favorite one. And then I think I liked Falcon, the Winter Soldier a little bit more. And I liked Loki. I did. I, I liked Loki. I had a good time with it, but it's my third favorite. But you can't underestimate the popularity of the Loki character. Because according to reports now, Loki, the finale, broke all the MCU records on Disney Plus with its highest viewed episode with 2.5 million viewers, shattering the number set by WandaVision that had 1.7 million viewers. So this shattered that. So that's huge. Now, not everybody loved the finale. I quite enjoyed it, didn't love it. Some people were kind of disappointed with the finale. Some people did love the finale, whatever. But they did pull in really big numbers, telling us that, Loki is quite a popular character in the MCU, but also showing us that the popularity of the MCU on Disney Plus is growing. WandaVision started all off and got really people invested in it. Then they came in and watched Falcon Winter Soldier. Then they stuck around and more people came to watch Loki and the numbers continue to go up. The question is why? Well, I don't think the reason this one set this new record for Disney Plus is because it was the best episode out of all of the Marvel Disney Plus episodes. It wasn't. But again, it's that momentum building. You know, people talk about momentum and they often talk about it in terms of sports, but you can't overlook momentum even when it comes to something like entertainment. When momentum starts building with the audience, that can be a powerful thing until you kill it. And WandaVision not only was popular in of itself, I think, but I think it started that momentum. It got people excited about the notion. Like, people were already curious about the notion of the MCU on Disney+. Plus, what, what's a, an MCU TV show really going to be like? But the quality of it got the fan base really invested and got them very enthusiastic. And then that waved over into Falcon, the Winter Soldier, which then waved over into Loki as well. And it's going to be interesting to see how this trend continues, Rob, if it continues at all. So anyway, Rob, you take a look at this. You see these numbers that have come in, especially impressive considering how it compares to the finale of WandaVision, Mm. which was huge for them. What do you think about this result that Loki got? And what do you attribute it getting this kind of result to?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, you know, Loki, Tom Hiddleston's portrayal of Loki is one of the foundational cornerstones and highlights of the MCU. People have uh, always loved Loki and, and we've seen him over 10 years. And I think, you know, the the Loki series, and I, I don't think it was perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it was interesting. I mean, it really more so than, uh, we've seen these three shows really embrace the comic book origins, not that the MCU doesn't, but I mean, the Time Variance Authority is way out there. It's about as comic booky as you can get in terms of concept. And I think that, you know, for a lot of people, it it really pushed the boundaries of, of the fantasy and the science fiction of the MCU in an interesting way. And I think people really, there was a mystery there. Who was the man behind the curtain or the thing behind the curtain, the person behind the curtain? And and uh, it sets up a lot of really interesting ramifications. And I think people were engaged by the the storytelling. And they wanted to know what happened. I mean, Captain America, or Falcon and Winter Soldier, was a little bit more conventional. WandaVision was a little bit more, not that Loki wasn't gimmicky, but WandaVision, I think people were, they didn't quite know what to make of it all until it was over. But with Loki, it was it was pure fantasy. It was almost like watching something out of Willy Wonka. So I think people were, were pretty invested and it was so. Sh- oh, it was only six episodes long. So I think when people, when it came to the end, people really wanted to find out what the hell's going on. <laughs> so, uh, and that, you know, for all of the, there's been a lot of divisiveness, I think amongst the fan base, there's been a lot of people. I, I There's an anti Marvel sentiment. I mean, I certainly have been accused of being a Marvel shill which seems so strange to me because I've loved Marvel comics since I was a little kid and to watch Marvel shows. I mean, if you're a comic book reader, you get stories of all, all quality. And to me, the fact that they're touching on these things in live action, like the TVA, honestly, I can't believe it. I I, I couldn't believe that they were going to bring Thanos to life. And as this lifelong Marvel comics reader, I I'm pretty much my default position is being delighted with these shows. Uh, certainly they're they're high quality in terms of how they're made and they're not phoning it in and we're getting all kinds of diverse stories and in my mind it's like reading all these interesting comic book miniseries. some of them are better than others some of them i like more than others but overall i'm really enjoying experiencing where the mcu is going now just because it harks back to going to the comic book store and you never knew what you were going to get
0: it's true question is for you guys What do you think? I mean, obviously, tremendously impressive numbers. What do you think about them? What do you think was the cause of that kind of growth? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that stuff down and out of the way, let's now move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campia show? Well, it's really simple. You guys come up with our main topics. You see, whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you feel we need to cover as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime, 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or issue. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, it might be selected to be a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Paul JT, who writes, Hey John and Rob, as we already know, AMC was in talks with Caruso, the company that owns the Grove, the Americana, among other locations, but now it's official. According to Variety, we have a deal between both companies and AMC will open officially in August. I'll miss Pacific theaters, but it's good to see life coming back to those theaters. Even if this is a great move, do you think it's wise for AMC, which is still recovering from the current pandemic, to open more locations, or they should wait until they're officially out of the woods? To me, again, this is a great move, but I wanted to know your thoughts. All right, thanks for sending that in, Paul. And of course, yes, one of the big... You know, uh, ramifications of the pandemic on the entertainment industry has obviously been the movie theaters and the tale of AMC throughout the pandemic is something of song and tale like they go through this big expansion pre pandemic. They do. They launch their AMC A-list program, spend tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars getting that up and running. They do a total retrofit on a ton of their theaters, Rob. Like a ton of them putting in those leather recliner motorized chairs, building out their Dolby cinemas and blah, blah, blah. And they put themselves in a lot of debt, but the future like bright. And just as they spent all that money, and just as they were starting to see profits roll in from the A-list program and all that kind of stuff, what happened? The pandemic hit. The pandemic hit and they had to shut their doors And they went into massive financial trouble, and it looked, Rob, for a fortnight, like they were going to have to close their doors. The biggest movie theater chain in the world was going to have to close their doors. But then, Rob, out of nowhere, comes a bunch of jackasses on Reddit saying we're going to invest in AMC, and all of a sudden, this essentially it became like a meme stock. AMC stocks went from like two dollars to like. I can't remember what it peaked at. It might have peaked around 60 or 70. I I don't know. But all of a sudden, their stock shot up by like 5,000 times. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. Ann and I made a little bit of money on that stock getting shooting up. I'm not going to lie to you. But the stock shot up. But more importantly, it put AMC in a position to go, well, hell, our stock's now worth like 50 bucks. All right, sell millions of shares of stock. And they were able to raise, Rob, I still remember the article in Yahoo Finance that came out and reported AMC in one day wiped out 10 months of losses. All the losses they accumulated in the previous 10 months were wiped out in one day. And all of a sudden, AMC was flush with some cash. Not every movie theater chain had it so good. The Pacific, which is a very popular theater here in the Los Angeles area. The Americana Theater, which is a very popular theater here in the Los Angeles area. Including, Rob, your favorite movie theater. The Arclight Hollywood with the Cinema Dome there. They had to close their doors. Now, whispers and rumors came out that AMC was going to try to take over those things since they are flush with cash. And now it is official. This comes to us from the folks at Variety who writes, This week... AMC said it has reached an agreement with Caruso, a privately owned real estate company, to take over the leases at the two Los Angeles area locations. The Grove Theater is a 14-screen venue, while the Americana is an 18-screen theater. Here's why this is important, though. AMC is expected to reopen the theaters next month in August. The theaters have been closed for more than a year due to COVID-19 pandemic. In a release announcing the deal, AMC notes that in 2018, the Grove Theater, was the second highest-grossing movie theater in the Los Angeles area, and the Americana at Brand Theater was the fifth highest-grossing movie theater in the Los Angeles area. Guys, that is no small thing. To be in the movie capital of the world, and that your theater was the second-highest-grossing theater, that means this is one of the highest-grossing theaters in the country and for amc to be able to step in and take that over is great for them especially in this situation now you asked in the email should they wait until they're out of the woods the reality is amc is out of the woods right now because of that whole stock thing it's not through anything that they did it ain't because of their idiot ceo it isn't because of any of that stuff they got lucky but Lucky they did get, and they're taking advantage of that luck, which is what they should do. So now you have these two choice movie theater locations. You either take them over or Rob, what's going to happen? One of your competitors is going to take it over and they're going to benefit from it in the long run. So I got to say, this was a smart move on AMC. They found themselves in a position that they could capitalize on it. So they went ahead and they did capitalize on it. And I think they're going to enjoy the benefits of it. And I love that these locations are going to be over, uh, open again. Rob, for you, you know, we also know that AMC is going to be taking over that Hollywood location at some point here. How significant is this that these really iconic L.A. movie theaters that it looked like we're going to be closing down, the locations at least will be reopening, even if they're under another banner? How are you feeling about this?
1: Well, both the Americana and the Grove are huge, high traffic shopping areas for L.A., and that's why those those movie theaters, both great great movie theaters, great presentation, fun to go to, easy easy and accessible to reach, and you know they offered a big selection because they're they're, what is it like fourteen theaters or something in, in each one, and and to have them shuttered that was a big anchor point for that entire. I mean, it's there's condos there and, you know, apartments there and great restaurants. And they needed those, those for those developments. And it drove this economic engine that was important to those areas of the city. And who would pass that up? You know, and certainly the developers who own that own the Grove, and the Americana needed uh, those theaters to reopen. And with AMC, you know, John, we know that they invested before the pandemic $5 billion in upgrading their theater experience for their customers, which is what you want. So there's certainly uh, a theater chain that is is uh, conscious of a high-end experience. So I think it's great. Now, will they take over the Cinerama Dome and the Arclight Hollywood and also the Arclight in Pasadena? regal cinemas took over the arc light in sh- the sherman oaks gallery yes they did yeah so that was something that was overseen you know that was overseen by pacific theaters as well so we'll see what happens i mean my whole thing is that my hometown theater the arc light pasadena is shuttered and i would like to see that open because it's incredibly convenient for me and i went there a lot but then the, the hollywood cinerama dome is a it's a big marquee destination theater it's one of the great theaters in in north america so to have it not open right now is, is a shame. And I hope that um, that Light Complex in Hollywood was also hugely successful. Maybe AMC will take that over as well. We'll see. Maybe it's a good fit. I just hope I don't have to watch
0: 30 minutes of trailers. But uh, Yeah, don't even get me going about that. But still, it's nice to see these locations reopening. And again, really another sign of the industry being now in recovery mode and slowly yep. starting to come back to life, which is good for everybody. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? AMC goes from being, you know, the most powerful affluent theater company in the entire industry a year and a half ago to being on the brink of death's door to then surging back. And now they're expanding and reopening these iconic locations. How are you guys feeling about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. Uh, by the way, Devin uh, Panicker sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Devin. Appreciate that, man. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Edward McMillan. McMillian, who writes Hey, John and Rob. I'm a big Kevin Smith fan, me too, and love basically all of his movies, even Red State. But obviously my favorites are his Clerks movies and Chasing Amy. I love Chasing Amy. Uh, Did you see that the dream is now real and Clerks 3 is finally officially happening with Lionsgate behind it? What do you think about this? And are you excited for the third installment? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Edward. And listen, I am a, a big Kevin Smith fan on two different levels. Number one, I'm a fan of his films. My favorite of his films is actually Clerks 2. Clerks 2 is a movie that is actually a very, very special place in my heart because the theme of Clerks 2 was about, like, do you move away to pursue your own, like, career goals and things like that? But if it means taking you away from your from your friends, from your, your social circles, what's more important? And that movie came out right as I was facing that kind of dilemma in my life, Rob, when I was trying to answer those questions for myself because I had a job offer, but it meant moving away from a lot of very dear family and, and and friends and things that people that I loved. And this movie came out and was raunchously funny, but also incredibly touching at the same time. I love that movie. But I'm also a big fan of Kevin Smith as just a storyteller. Like he's one of the best guys in Hollywood, Rob, to just put him on a stage and hand him a microphone. Just let him go. And he tells stories like nobody else. Like the guy is a seriously entertaining storyteller And I love it. But listen, because of my love of Clerks 2, I've always wanted to see a Clerks 3. And there's been a lot of whispers and rumors off and on that, oh, a Clerks 3 is happening. But we've been hearing that for years and then nothing. I was like, okay, now Clerks 3 is going to happen and then nothing. Well, now it really is happening because they've got themselves a major distributor in a Lionsgate. This comes to us from the folks at Deadline who write the following. Kevin Smith has written the screenplay and will direct with all major cast members from the first two clerks films set to reprise their roles. Jeff Anderson as Randall, Brian o- O-Hall- or I always mispronounce his name. O'Halloran as Dante, Jay Muse as as Jay Smith as silent Bob. and this is the important one. Rosario Dawson as Becky. I loved her in Clerks 2. Anyway, (laughs) the film will be produced by Liz uh, Destro and Jordan uh, Monsanto in Clerks 3. Following a massive heart attack, Randall enlists Dante, Elias, Jay, and Silent Bob to make a movie immortalizing his life at the convenience store that started it all. All right, that comes to us from the folks over at Deadline. Okay, so I'm a little bit torn, Rob. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little bit torn. Uh Because on the one hand... I, because of my love of Clerks 2 and the special place that holds in my heart, and oh my God, Rosario Dawson in that movie is like the ultimate teen boy dream girl in that. Like, I, I love Rosario Dawson in that. Anyway, so been dying to see a Clerks 3 for a long time. So, yay. And I read that Lionsgate's going to distribute it. Yay. I'm excited. But, Rob, I got to admit, that synopsis sounds terrible. I don't know why Kevin Smith right now is on this kick that all of his movies have to be about trying to get a movie made. Like, even when you go back to his latest Jay and Silent Bob things, like they're trying to stop a a stop a movie getting made and all this kind of stuff. Now, this one's about them trying to get a movie made. And I'm like, I and, and by the way, the last Jay and Silent Bob thing was terrible. I hated that movie. And I love Kevin Smith. I love Kevin Smith. But. I thought that was terrible, and I do not like the sounds of this at all. Now, listen, it's just a synopsis. It's just a premise. Maybe he's going to execute it and write it brilliantly, and it's going to be awesome, and I'm going to hold out hope for that. But, Rob, I got to be honest with you. I read the synopsis, and I had some of the wind taken out of my sails a little bit. I don't like the sounds of it, but I love the sounds that all the cast is coming back. I love that Rosario Dawson's back. I love that we're going to get to meet these guys again 20 years, however long it's been since Clerks 2. So I'm going to stay and choose to remain enthusiastic, even though I have my doubts about that synopsis, until we see something a little bit more. Rob, Clerks 3 is officially coming. Did you ever think they would finally actually get it off the ground and get this partnership? And what do you think about the sounds of the synopsis?
1: Well, one, I didn't think they would get it off the ground because it's, you know, for me, you have to ask yourself, okay, uh why would anybody still be doing the job in a convenience store they were doing like 25 years ago or something? Why would they even have an attachment to it? Is that store even still there? Um, but that said, you know, one of the movies that I was most dubious about that turned out to be one of my favorite sequels ever made was T2, Train Spotting 2. Hmm. And the way they went back to those characters and dealt with them. And, you know, I think there's a lot of great material to be mined here. And yet, like you, the idea of making a movie about your experiences—it's even in Kevin Smith's oeuvre—it's a little well-trodden ground already. But I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt because I too am a fan of Kevin Smith's work, and um, you know, I really like, say, Chasing Amy. I like Dogma. Um, there's a lot of things that that he's made that I've enjoyed. So I'm hoping I'm I'm always pulling for someone, John. I'm always uh, pulling for him to turn out something great. And the fact that Lionsgate's putting it out. Uh, gives me a little bit of hope. Clearly, they they already read the script and they know what they're getting into, so it gives me hope that it
0: could be a good movie. Absolutely. Question is for you guys: What do you think about the sounds of this? I'm a, like I said, I'm a little bit torn. I love that they're finally going to do a Clerks three. I don't love the synopsis, but hey, let's reserve judgment until we see something. How are you guys feeling about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down. Let's move on to main topic number three and our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Gordon Franks and Gordon Franks writes. Hey, John, with all the other news of so many MCU and DC projects, we all seem to forget that a Batgirl HBO Max movie is coming. We are, you know, you're right about that. We have completely overlooked that. You're absolutely right. Read a report today that said they have their two main frontrunners for the lead role, and one of them is Leslie Grace from In the Heights. She was awesome in that, and I'd love to see her get the role. What do you think? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Gordon. And, you know, again, Gordon's right, Rob. I mean, and, but we we could be and we need to be forgiven for the fact that we keep overlooking Batgirl because, I mean, hell, we've got the Batman coming. We've got the right. Flash coming. We've got Eternals coming. we got Shang-Chi coming. We've had all these shows coming out, like from WandaVision to Falcon, the Winter Soldier to Loki. These are all popping up and coming out. We got What If coming, although I, I got to admit, I'm not all that interested in What If, but that aside, you know, we got Black Panther news and Blade news and stuff like that. Be forgiven if you forgot that there's a Back Girl HBO Max coming, so that's uh, that's interesting. Now they have guess they've moved far enough ahead that they have actually found their two main people that they are closing in on for who's going to be their back girl. This comes just from the facts of Variety who says, In the Heights star Leslie Grace and Five Feet Apart actress Haley Lou Richardson are emerging as the top contenders to take the role of Barbara Gordon in Batgirl, the upcoming HBO Max superhero film. So there you go. They've got it. Now, look, I'll tell you what. I am not familiar really with Haley Lou Richardson. I'm not going to lie. I'm not familiar with her work. So I really can't say much about that. Leslie grace though in in the heights was fantastic now you guys know I love this movie I I loved in the heights I thought it was fantastic it deserved far better than the terrible box office results that it got it was a wonderful joyous experience of a movie I had a great time with it Leslie grace was fantastic now when it comes down to who should get the role Oh, I don't know because I haven't read the script. We talk about this all the time, Rob. If I haven't read the script that I don't know exactly the nuances they're going for in Batgirl, and if I don't know the exact nuances they're going for in the character, I don't know which actress is the better fit. So for all I know, Leslie Grace is a terrible fit, but maybe she's perfect. I don't know. But since I haven't read the script, all I can go on is that I'd be pretty excited if she got it because again, I loved her in In the Heights. I'd love to see her in something else as well. And maybe they could do something really great with it. Rob... You know, th- this is a project that's been flying under our radar a little bit. First of all, why do you think a Batgirl series or a Batgirl, you know, movie on HBO Max has been flying under our radar? And what do you think about uh, the people they've listed as their finalists for the role?
1: Well, first of all, a Batgirl movie seemed to me about as plausible as the Flash movie for a long time, <laughs> except maybe ten <laughs> times less plausible. There'd be so there was so much talk of them doing a Batgirl movie, but really no significant progress. I mean. Who knows? And after after Birds of Prey not doing very well, I, I I thought the prospects of a Batgirl movie were dim at best. But now that it's coming, I mean, look, who doesn't love Batgirl? You know, when I was a kid, Yvonne Craig, come on, she had it going on. Come on. <laughs> and, uh, and she had her own theme song, too. And uh, I, I, I've always been a Barbara Gordon fan, if that's indeed the character they're going with. Uh, but um, uh, now that it's happening and the fact that they're screen testing a lot of really capable actors, it's hard for me to weigh in on. Who who they're they're It looks like they're 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 testing all of the significant actresses in a specific age uh, age range, which I think is great. But like you, I mean, I I don't know what the tone of the movie is. I don't know what they're going for. So it's hard for me. I'm like, well, I'm sure I trust the filmmakers and the casting director of the film to pick the best woman for the part, uh, which will be great. Because they obviously, when they're making these movies, they're not thinking of them as one-offs. They're thinking of them as franchise property. So they need somebody that can carry that. And the, the fact that they're doing screen tests shows to me that they're taking it very seriously. So that's cool. Um, I'm hoping the script is great. And, you know, I, 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 I'll I, be there for that. I mean, what's not to love if they make a great Batgirl movie? As As I always say, John, uh, if we get a movie, I want—I always want movies to be great. That—that's my default position. Why would you ever want a movie to not be great? And uh, I hope this movie's great.
0: Here's hoping. Fingers crossed. Question is for you guys. First of all, what are you even thinking about a Batgirl movie? Are you—are you looking forward to that at all? What do you think about the two girls that they say are the front runners for the film right now? Again, I love Grace because I just loved her in In the Heights, but I don't really know the other girl. Maybe she'd be the better fit. What do you guys think about this? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Mitchell A., who writes, Hey, John. Deadline is reporting that the Blade film has found its writer, uh, Stacey Osai Kofor, and that Marvel is in talks to finalize Basam Tariq, director of Mogul Mowgli to serve as the film's director with not a lot of credits to these two names. Do you think it is good that Marvel is searching for relatively new and unknown talent or bad that they are not going to more established names? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in Mitchell. And yeah, here's the thing. We have been talking about a blade film for a very long time. Cause it seems like almost as long ago you know, they announced Dwayne The Rock Johnson was going to be Black Adam, that they announced that Mahershala Ali was going to be Blade. Obviously, it wasn't that long ago, but it's still, it's it's been a while. It's been a beat since Kevin Feige was on that stage. I believe it was at Comic-Con and said, oh, by the way, there's one more thing. Uh, Mahershala Ali is going to be Blade. Two-time Academy Award. Two-time Academy Award winner Mahershala Ali comes out. He's going to be played playing Blade. And we've really not heard a lot about the project since but obviously momentum is now being made as they are saying that it looks like they found their guy this comes to us from screen Rant who writes the mcu blade movie starring mahershal ali as the titular superhero has reportedly hired basam Tariq to direct the to direct First appearing in Marvel Comics in 1973, created by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan as a side character in the Tomb of Dracula before gaining his own solo series the following year. A dampier or half-vampire, Blade possesses all the strengths of a vampire with none of the weaknesses, allowing him to walk freely in daylight, which earns him the nickname of Daywalker from the vampires that he hunts. All right. So here we've got... This is something a lot of people have been excited about, although the excitement's been waning a bit because, I mean, again, that there's been no movement on it. How do I feel about a director? Uh, first of all, I've never seen Mogul Mowgli. I've never seen it. So I, I really can't speak to that, Rob. I can't speak to this guy's pedigree, Bassam. I can't speak to his pedigree. But he clearly has gotten a lot of recognition in the industry for his smaller stuff, and Kevin Feige has taken a look at that and recognized it and said this is somebody I can work with. Now, In asking, is it a good idea for them to work with like some little known talent? That's what Kevin Feige has done with his career. Yeah. That's what Kevin Feige's done. Rob, how many people knew the name Peyton Reed? I mean, outside of the industry, outside of the industry, how many people knew the name Peyton Reed? Not many. How many people ever heard of Joe and Anthony Russo? You know, maybe people who are big fans of the of the show, but you know, and maybe if there are people out there who liked you, me, and Dupree, which I thought was terrible, not a lot. But Kevin Feige looked and said, "I can work with these guys. These guys, I think, will get my vision, and these guys will be able to execute." And blah blah blah. Uh, John, how many people had heard of John Watts? I mean, in the industry, people were starting to recognize what he was capable of, but. John Watts was not a household name and he only delivered us Spider-Man homecoming and Spider-Man far from home. And now we got Spider-Man no way homecoming out and he's done a terrific job. And again, look at what Peyton Reed did with Ant-Man, just delivering this incredibly charming, wonderful thing. This is not new. This is not a new thing for Kevin Feige to do or James Gunn, Rob. Like James Gunn was not a household name. Hardly anybody had seen Slither. Not a lot of people saw, what was the, the one he did with Rain Wilson? Uh, was that was Hero? No, Super. Uh, Super. Super. It, h- hardly. I mean, those of us who are really in the cinephile circles, we know Super, but nobody else did, right? But he said, you know, it doesn't matter if he's made big movies or not. A good storyteller is a good storyteller. That's what Kevin Feige told me when I asked him, why did you get James Gunn? He's never had these big tentpole experiences before. He says, it doesn't matter. A good storyteller is a good storyteller. And here's the interesting thing, Rob, and I want to know what you think about this. Well, Kevin Feige is ultimately responsible for what we get in all these movies. He sets the direction. He dictates what he wants to have happen in these movies, where these movies need to go to and all that kind of stuff. Yes, but it's the directors who bring the personality To these movies Ant-Man doesn't feel like Ant-Man If that's not Peyton Reed directing it If somebody else is directing that movie Even though Kevin Feige is still overseeing it It's going to feel like a very different movie If somebody other than Ryan Coogler Is directing Black Black Panther That's going to feel like a very different movie It's going to have a very different DNA If somebody besides John Watts Was directing the Spider-Man films They'd still be Spider-Man films But they would have felt very different Because the directors are the ones Who bring that personality Who bring that DNA And I think primarily when Kevin Feige is talking to potential directors for his films, that's what he's looking for. Who can bring the DNA and the personality to this film that will make what I want to have happen in it really sing. And at this point, has he dropped the ball once? I don't think so. I think he's done a pretty good damn good job with the people he selects. So even though I'm not familiar with this guy's work, he's going to be incredibly important to this film directing it and until proven otherwise I'm going to give Kevin Feige the benefit of the doubt so no I don't think there's any problem here that he's selecting an unknown name because that's generally what he's done a lot of in the MCU so far and it's worked out pretty well so far anyway Rob you hear about this what's your take on it
1: I feel the same way I mean uh in Feige we trust in terms of developing new talent I think that's become one of the appeals of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is And and it, it doesn't get people don't understand how I think how Marvel works synergistically with their new filmmakers. I mean, obviously, they have a great assembly line of people to handle things like action sequences and visual effects sequences. But Marvel needs to have visionary directors. Look, James Gunn brought his sensibility to Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, no one can deny that. And I think that, you know, we're getting Chloe Zhao, who did Eternals. You know, she's now an Academy Award-winning director. And you can tell that that film being shot more like on location and and the ideas that she brought to the, the film. Marvel wants that from the directors. So Kevin Feige is actively looking to cultivate new talent um, and think out of the box. No one else in Hollywood is doing that. No one else would take that risk. And by the way, no one else could call the shots the way Kevin Feige does. He thinks with his gut, he sees talent, he recognizes it. So whenever Kevin Feige puts new talent in front of, well, in front of actors to run the show, to direct their films, I'm always curious because like with Peyton Reed, I mean, I thought the first Ant-Man was delightful. And something like the Michael Pena monologue explaining away things i don't know if that was as much a script thing it's very much a directing thing as well there's always unique flourishes that these directors bring to these projects and i'm dude i'm looking forward to blade i mean come on
0: i I hope it's great I, I I hope it's great, too. I really do, especially with the anticipation levels that we've had. And again, you've got a two-time Academy Award winner playing the role. Although, like, Mahershala is going to be like 50 years old when this thing first comes out, when the first one comes out. But that's fine. They, they 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 can do it. They can do it. Question is for you guys. It looks like they've now got a director, probably one you've maybe not heard of. Maybe you have. What do you guys think of this? At least it looks like this project is getting some real momentum moving forward. Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions. Listen, guys, if you want to get a comment or question read here on the show, it's really simple. Just go down into the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. Click on that or you can enter it in manually at www.StreamElements.com slash MovieBlogTV slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question read on the show or an upcoming companion video if it's appropriate for the show. Like We can't accept just anything that comes in. But most of them do get on and most more importantly, you're going to be supporting the channel as you do it. And all of us involved with the John Campus Show, thank you guys so very much for that support. All right. With that down, let's get on over to it and start taking your live comments and questions. We're going to start things off here with the Bucky Stops here. I like that username. Who writes, hi. Uh, I don't have a problem with the MCU Spider-Man having an Iron Man or Doctor Strange attributes. After all, this is the MCU and not traditional comic book stories or iterations of the characters. That is true. I've been hearing these properties are separate and not to be compared. Well, no, no, no. It's it's not that they shouldn't be compared. What you can't do is say, well, because this happened in the comic books, that's what's got to happen in the movie. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. But obviously what happens in the MCU and the movies and the TV shows are directly influenced by what is in the comic books. The thing about Spider-Man is this. I don't care that Spider-Man isn't dating Mary Jane Watson. I don't care that in the movies it's a different character with who happens to have the initials MJ. I'm okay with that. That's fine. Yes, in the comics, her name is Mary Jane Watson. Well, okay, that's the comics. It's not the movies. That's fine. They got somebody else. I don't mind that they do some changes here and there, but I I do kind of mind when you don't just let the character be the character. You know, and by the way, I don't know that they're not going to let Spider-Man just be Spider-Man in the next movie. Yeah, yeah, we've seen some images of toys that have him using mystic webbing and he looks like a little Doctor Strange Jr. But that doesn't mean that's how it's going to come across. It could come across totally perfectly and totally fine. So we'll have to see. So yes, the movies are the movies, the TV show, the comic books are the comic books. They're two different things. But if you're going to bring do one of the characters, at least do the character. That's 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 my only thought on that. That's my only thought. All right, next up. We've got... Uh, Andy Hong who writes, Hey John, thank you so much for answering my question last week about how to have faith in humanity. Uh, it really means a lot to me and cheered me up and your comparison to flat earthers was perfect and it made me laugh. Thanks for all you do and keep it up. Well, thanks a lot for saying that into Andy and I appreciated the question. And yes, despite all the stupidity that we seem out there, there is more good than bad. So just focus on that. All right, next up, Andy also writes, uh, if Vin Diesel, um, where is it? Where Vin Diesel was one of the horsemen of the apocalypse. His steed would be a black 1960s Mustang, making him the, the horseman of the famine Lee, Get it? Because there's a horseman of famine. ha! Ah, I'll give you the drum hit there. Of the famine Lee. By the way, I love it when you say family with your Vin Diesel impersonation, LOL. Well, thanks for that, Andy. Family. It's all about family. All right. Cincinnati's five-star barber writes, I love that username, Hey, John and Rob, if he's there, and even if he isn't, well, Rob is here. I am here. I've been a major fan of the show for about two years now. Thank you so much for being here, man. It's my daily pop culture escape. It helped me get through a pandemic and divorce at the same time. Sorry to hear about that, man. And I watched you guys every day in my shop, uh, getting a lot of my clients hip to you in the process. As the team barber for my beloved Cincinnati bagels. Oh, my God. It's too bad Ray isn't here. My (laughs) brother-in-law, Ray, who does our graphics, he is all Cincinnati Bengals.